Welcome back, everyone, to Red Spotlight Entertainment. I'm your host, Alexis Soto, and this is the show that brings you everything coming out of the world of movies and more. Today, we have a couple of movie reviews heading your way in the form of No One Will Save You, The Iron Claw, The Color Purple, and Poor Things. That's today's show on Red Spotlight number 473, and you may have already um become well aware if you are uh watching the video version of this uh that i am not joined this week by alexis moreno or by david francisco as a matter of fact joining us back from the dead itself here is the one and only peter martinez you thought you got rid of him and it turns out you did not he is here and he has many a thought to share with us about the state of the show in his uh, absence, since he doesn't have a direct line with you all, the audience. Uh, he usually uh, talks to us. And so now is his chance to relay his strong feelings about the state of things at Red Spotlight, since he has uh, had to step away. Peter, this is your moment. Let me tell you a couple of three things. Um, well, just to start off with the bat, I understand there has been some slander spoken <laughs> about me while I'm not here. Um, very cowardly behind my back. Uh, I know who those people are and it's, it's being dealt with. I don't want the audience to be worried about that. Um, I also understand that a lot of the audience feels the quality has dipped, and that's putting it lightly in so far as this whole show is concerned. Uh, believe me, we hear your complaints, and they are 100% valid. Uh, and I think we'll definitely do some retooling as we move forward. What was the third thing? No, that was it. But you said three. Didn't you say three? Oh, that was it? Okay. Um, well, um... Don't really know how to respond to that, other than, um, I can just speak for the people who have, uh, you know, taken, um the time to be on the show and I can speak for myself and David and Alexis that we've been having a blast. Um, and the show has been absolutely thoroughly enjoyable, um, since a couple of, um, people were no longer, um, in attendance, shall we say. Um, but you know, every now and then we do need something to spice it up. And of course, um, anytime that Peter is on a show, the rest of us end up becoming a couple of bowling pins. Uh, so, but since I'm the only one here, I guess I'm the de facto punching bag. Uh, so that's usually, um, what the show might turn into. Uh, so yeah, that's, and of course, you know, Peter's been absent. Um, he's had a uh visit the dead every now and then so he's not been here um so 
guess there's that, but I don't know of any slander you're talking about. I mean, I think people were just expressing their honest opinions in the last podcast about how things were, just as you so uh, often express your honest opinions, just as you did just now. Uh, and, and, and many would say that what you just said in and of itself was a form of slander. The slander by others has been noted, and there will be an internal investigation, and it it will be handled. Okay. Um. Well, Peter, uh, I, for one, am happy to have you here. Uh, it's so rare, uh, you know, since you spend most of your time being dead, uh, that you get the chance to actually be on the show. Uh, but when you do, um, at least it's something. Anyway. <laughs> so glowing. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> at least it's something. Um, a lot's been going on, um, some of which we will get to. We've actually had the opportunity to see a lot of films together. Um, and we haven't actually had the time to really talk too much about any of them on this show, particularly because nobody else has seen them besides you and me. So we're going to get into all of those movies today. Um, but a couple of things have broke that I think uh, you wanted to uh, opine on. For one being uh, the passing of Carl Weathers just this, uh, this past weekend at age 76. Um, of course, the beloved Carl Weathers, uh, forever known uh, as uh, one of the stars of the Rocky franchise, Predator, Many others, of course, a, a very comedic and memorable performance on Arrested Development. And then lately he had a uh, kind of an acting and directing, uh, you know, surge uh, with Star Wars. So he is uh, someone that's been quite active lately. And it kind of really was surprising um, considering how, uh, you know, basically alive he was at the end it just kind of happened it kind of reminds you that people just slip away sometimes no rhyme no reason just when your time is that's the time you go away and that's what happened to him he fell asleep never woke up so and of course hearing about it made everybody really really sad and i'm sure uh you feel exactly the same yes any any uh more you want to say as far as like what Carl Weathers uh, will live on for you? I mean, it's basically the same as every everyone else. He had um, a really varied career. Mm-hmm. He he had a stew going. He he had a <laughs> stew going. He he was a pro football player. Um, he was an actor, an action star, and some of the most classic films ever made late pivot at the end a director yeah director late actor pivot to comedy um he did all of it and in everything he did he was always a standout which is crazy because that's so hard think of it in acting he was a standout in action he was a standout in comedy he was a standout uh he just had that quality about him and this one made me real sad because like you said, sure, he was definitely older in age, but man, he looked good. 
he looked real good. You know, looking at him at those Mandalorian seasons, he looked great. You you and couldn't tell he was near eighty. N- not at all, not at all. And um, yeah, it's it's one of those where you're like, damn, you lost an icon, you know. And even though he was near eighty, because he looked so good, it one it it is one of those things where it felt like too soon. Yeah. He he still just felt like he had so much more in him. Uh, but yeah, it was real sad. Nah, for sure. Um, it's been one of those weeks where um, that kind of like put things into perspective. It kind of I, I don't like deaths happening on Fridays. It's happening a lot lately. Where just mm-hmm. the end of the week happens, and then we just have to spend the weekend <laughs> reeling over what happened. But in the lead up to that. As I mentioned last week as well, it's been a really crazy time. Just like I feel like the the more years we put on, the more reality and um, fiction just starts to blur in together. Um, one of the best examples of that, but actually for for I think a change, it ended up being something rather entertaining and kind of like euphoric. Um, the really just uh amazing promotional campaign for Curb Your Enthusiasm, the final season, which we're all looking forward to. But I think that's kind of an afterthought because it just so happened that Larry David took the liberty of uh, assaulting Elmo on the Today Show. And then that ended up like sp- spurring a whole media cycle. And the thing is, um it's funny. It, it basically was an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, if you know the show, which is really the point of it all, even in how it was discussed afterward. But in typical fashion, I don't know, I feel like some people take it way too seriously. I'm not sure if you uh, saw the reaction from when Miss Grace Randolph, but she apparently (laughs) was literally offended um, and felt that it was a a disturbing moment. Um, She's so funny. I don't know what there is to be offended about. Um, I guess she was talking about because the segment that Elmo was on was talking about a mental health situation that Larry David coming in made a whole mockery of it. Okay. You know what's good for mental health? Laughter. Exactly. (laughs) Um... And yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know if you're a grown adult that needs Elmo to like school you on mental health. I, I think she was referring to the children who, because it was very much a children's segment. But who think yeah, what but child watches a Today Show? Child's not watching the news. Yeah. Maybe you could help parents talk to their kids about mental health, but like. No one was hurt because... Well, Elmo, I guess. <laughs> he seemed okay. He seemed fine. He seemed fine, yeah. And I the guess, funniest uh, part of that to me was when he took a swipe at Elmo's dad. Oh, yeah. That's right. Um, but it's an it's amazing uh, promotion for uh, the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, which uh, I can't believe. I mean, it's been such a long time. Yeah. Curb Your Enthusiasm has been going on since the year 2000. That's ridiculous. <laughs> 12 seasons in all. 
how long was th- that one hiatus? How many years? Well, it was long. It was from like 2008 to 2017. It was like Might a 10-year break, almost. That's insane. It's <laughs> ridiculous, yeah. I think it was a 10-year hiatus, and then they came back for seasons 9, 10, 11, and 12, and I think they were airing every other year. Mm-hmm. Um, Not every year. Uh, but yeah, it's a, that was a huge hiatus. Um, and so I guess we'll check it out. Um, and then to cap off the weird week that was, um, we're not going to get too bogged down in the Taylor Swift of it all, but have you been seeing, I know you have, I know you have because I've obviously have shared them with you, but there have been some truly hilarious clips that have been coming out of this, like. The latest vast right wing conspiracy um, to tear down an individual uh, because of their supposed politics, I guess. Um, but seriously, I, I, you have to commend the right on some level. They continue to outdo themselves for how crazy they get, how crazy they seem. Um, the idea that uh, Taylor Swift is this spy. And that she evidently planned to use the Super Bowl to endorse Joe Biden for president. Um, Who even it, said she was doing that? Oh, there was variety. Is she, she endorsing like a, him? No, okay, no, then but what the hell? It, like, <laughs> no, she's not even saying anything. Is it the right all collectively just presumed she had a preferential? candidate and that she was going to go all out for him at, at some point Even down the line. Even if she does so. vote for Biden, it doesn't mean she's going to like... She could just say in an interview like, yeah, I'll, I'll vote for him. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It yeah. was a preemptive strike uh, over practically, practically nothing. Before, I used to feel like a lot of right-wingers at least were pretty savvy in <laughs> the way they went about some of their bullshit but now it's less and less so I, I i think you're you're getting too lost in your own sauce if you know what i mean like i think they genuinely thought the whole like scaremongering about trans people would really lead them to political wins and it hasn't but they're still not giving it up like it, it's still something they obsess over, and you're seeing that more and more, where they focus highly on things that just aren't real, real, or or on any level going to connect with most voters. But they'll still win anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So uh, it's just uh, also this is. A, a, a battle this is one person they can't take down like they've been very successful at like tearing down many people through their uh media space but this is not somebody who they can in come close to damaging no especially because she's not even a political person she's, she's just, not and she she legitimately has a cult behind her like yeah she's got her own cult like and it's a white woman cult like so good luck good, with that good luck yeah um getting to some of the movie stuff uh chris rock apparently is making a remake of another round and i find that completely disgusting 
Yeah, uh, I just can't get behind these American remakes. They're unnecessary. They exist only because Americans refuse to read subtitles. Fuck you, read. There's no reason it should happen. I can't remember. I can't remember one where an American remake of like The Departed. I can't remember one where I'm like, oh, that was really good. I'm glad it exists. Um, yeah, fuck that. There's a lot to be said there. Uh, for one, um, another round happens to be a film I would presume most people hadn't wouldn't even have heard of. Um, but you and I know it quite well. It happened to be one of our favorite films of 2020. That, of course, being the other problem is that that was a year that nobody, of course, was watching films. Um, but we both watched it. It was my favorite of the year. It was among yours as well. Um, a great performance by Matt, Matt Mickelson and directed by Thomas Vinterberg. It ended up winning, I believe, international feature at the Oscars that year. Uh, although it should have been nominated for much more. The problem there being, though, is that this film is really specific to the culture of Denmark. Um, and, and literally the, the whole of it is completely specific to that place. And I think when, as an American, when you're watching the film, there are a lot of cultural shocks that occur throughout the film that you're like, wait, they do that over there? <laughs> so making that it, and putting it in America doesn't quite work. Um, so you have to really change a lot of different things about the movie uh, for that to even happen. Uh, also, I don't know of all people why Chris Rock would choose this project. I don't know what he has to offer a new spin on this story. I, I can't yeah, I in don't. good conscience like think that it'll turn out any good. It'll release. No one will like it. They'll forget about it in a month. No, not Basically, a month. A week. A week. Yeah. yeah. Unless it's so bad. Uh, that it's I can't see it worst. being that. I can't see it being bad enough that people give a shit after a week. That's true. It won't be Madam Web. No, no, that one. Yeah. <laughs> can't wait to Which, get my Madam Web popcorn. Can bucket. we? Can we talk about that for a second? Because we have not at all talked about that on this show at all. This is the first like mention of Madam Web mm-hmm. in the history of this show. And I think for good reason. And that doesn't even get to the trailer that. Uh, of course, the Sony comic book films are notorious they're garbage. for... Um, they're garbage, yeah. Uh, Amy Pascal sucks. Avi Arad? Like, that isn't talked enough about how much they suck. Mm-hmm. I know there's been, like, some historical re- revisionism with the Mark Webb Spider-Man films. I see a lot of people online, probably because they were that age to grow up with them they're doing a prequel star wars treatment they're doing a prequel star wars thing those movies sucked they They were not good especially they they, they sucked then and they suck now yeah it seems like a a lot of people are trying to do revisionism with the mid spider-man part two that movie is terrible like it's legitimately terrible can we stop there the amazing spider-man 2 was so bad it broke everything it cost andrew garfield a third film and it it caused sony to retreat completely and go to kevin feige on their hands and knees to help them make a whole new spider-man character and franchise (laughs) like what you (laughs) mean it wasn't that bad emmy pascal literally like cried and like threw him out of her his office when he said like just let us make the movie or some shit remember that was like in the behind the scenes like emails and stuff 
Mm-hmm. Remember that whole thing, the Sony leaks? Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, Sony doesn't make good films. No. Like, they don't. Every once in a while, they get lucky and they hire really talented people and they're able to make something. They got really lucky with Sam Raimi with the first trilogy. They got really lucky with um, uh, the, uh, what are they? The, those two brothers. Are they brothers? Russo um, brothers. No, not the Russo brothers. Um, oh, you mean you mean Phil Lord and Chris Miller? Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yeah, they're not brothers. <laughs> I just realized. I was like, what? Names. I don't know why I think they're brothers. Maybe they look like, I don't know. But they got really lucky with them and the animated Spider-Man film. Um, but Sony throws shit at the wall and like 10% comes out amazing. And the rest isn't even like varying degrees of shit. It's just hardcore shit. Everything Spider-Man they've done has been shit. I, I don't count the the Marvel Spider-Man films, by the that's way. That's its own thing. Because that's that's 100% fe- Feige. Yeah. And you can say, oh, Pascal, this or that. But let's be real. There's those movies. You can tell a massive difference between, even if I don't think they're even that great, there's a massive difference between the Kevin Feige Mar- MCU Spider-Man films and then the Amy Pascal Sony Spider-Light connected films like Venom like Madam Web, like Morbius, like Craven the Hunter. If you notice, they all look similar. They all have similar tone. Like they, when I see their trailers, because I don't watch those fucking movies, but when you see those trailers or I any scene. I have not scene, seen one to date, honestly. They really feel, you can tell right away, like they're made by the same people. Um, and they're garbage. They're just, <laughs> they're terrible. And proud of it too. They're, these people are not good at their job. Um, but you know what? I blame people that made Venom a hit in the first place. Yeah. Um, for this bullshit. I, I really, really do. It's the reason why Madam Web should have never been a movie. Craven Hunter never should have been a movie. Um, uh, fucking Morbius. No. No, 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 no. At one point, they were going to make uh, uh, El Muerte? Yeah. With, uh, with uh, Bad Bunny? You know he's in like three comics from like... 2009 <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even know that was a character honestly i no one knew that was a character because he was in three comics from like 2009 um yeah but madam webb looks at like a new level of bad it looks like if the cw made a movie it looks terrible i if can i be honest with you i think um that's not fair to some of the stuff on the CW. Not, not that I know about it all that mm-hmm. much, but we all know what it means when you say, oh, it looks very CW. I would say that some of the CW stuff at its peak was better than what Sony was offering. That's probably fair, yeah. And you know they don't got shit because you look at the trailers and it's like nothing. And you know Sony, they wouldn't hold back. They're going to show you all the best parts, right? And it's embarrassing. It's genuinely embarrassing. I think Sony is a massive, massive reason for the decline in comic book movies. Because they're allowed to make garbage dribble that should have never been made. And just terrible creative decisions. Creven the Hunter's not a hunter. He's not a bad guy. He's now a good guy. And he 
kills poachers and it's rated r <laughs> that trailer was hilarious a young hot guy and it's okay it's like it's it's like it's 2006 or something and and people no not 2006 1999 and people are still afraid of what a comic book movie is and they have no idea what it is so you have like cocaine fueled uh, movie executives making insane decisions but no yeah no she sucks they all suck the thing is this uh when you take a step back and look at uh the main contributors or distributors and producers of the comic book genre you think of dc Mm -hmm. you think of marvel studios uh you think of the sony marvel films and then at one point in the early 2010s to mid 2010s you had fox marvel uh, which no longer exists. And but d- on the whole, yeah, go ahead. And Fox had varying degrees of success, but at least it was varying. Like the hits and misses, the hits came a lot faster, right? Yes. Like, like if you could argue there's like 50-50, you'd get a really good movie, then you get a so-so, then you get shit, then really good. With Sony, it's just shit, 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 shit. Fucking one of the best movies involving a comic book movie ever made. Shit, 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 shit. Um, yeah. And to be fair, though, I, and I think you already made this distinction, but to be clear about that, uh, Sony Animation and the work that the Lord and Miller team, along with Dos Santos and Powers and Thompson, um, uh, their co-directors, um, they are not at all. None of those people are involved with Madam Web or Morbius no, no. or or it just happens to be that they're under the Sony I guess name of it all but like again you got to take into account here that yes you're right Sony has been the worst cuz it's been nothing but shit as you say um the other I guess the go if ahead. it wasn't for Phil Lord and Chris Miller Sony wouldn't have made a good Spider-Man related any any film since spider-man 3 again lord and miller have been holding up sony for like a decade at this point yeah and again i don't count um the the mcu spider-man films because uh-huh. while sony footed the bill and all that creatively they were very much they had almost nothing to do with them That's those are mcu it. films that were not sony through films you can just tell you, you can, can just tell. tell yeah even just by looking at it you can tell it, it, it's very easy to see but I would say that the runner-up uh, in, in the department of delivering crap comic book films definitely was DC. Uh, it just was, unfortunately, they didn't get their act together until like recently where the last few years they had been releasing some really good films. It just so happens that at that point they had screwed the pooch in a really bad way where nobody was even, it fell on deaf ears, right? Yeah. As I think I, I shared this clip with you a few months back. John Campia, some of the of personality we followed for, uh, I think, almost 10 years now at this point, he made uh, one of the best predictions ever uh, in the lead up to BVS and saying that if, if DC messed it up, that they would not be able to recover in at least 10 years. And that's what happened ultimately, and that yeah. itself led to the downfall in a lot of ways of the genre. Uh, you and I remember I back think... in 2016, we did a video on Suicide yeah. Squad. You said this yourself that if if bad comic book films kept coming out, this is what would have happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think they were. I think DC never even had a chance. 
I think they were fucked from the beginning. I think they were fucked from Man of Steel. Yeah. Because they were chasing the Dark Knight high with Superman. And by then, the comic book, the winds had already changed. And then they tried to do a mid-pivot into BVS. And by then, it was too late. The creative team and the universe was just completely wrong for what they were trying to do. Um, of course, they're executives, so they had no fucking idea about it. They they were fucked from the beginning. They never had a chance. As you mentioned, and you said so many times before, uh, one of the worst decisions ever made was giving Zack Snyder a cinematic universe. Yeah. And you know what's not brought up often? Um, you know who had a you had a heavy hand in giving <laughs> Zack Snyder the job in Nolan. the first place was Christopher Nolan. So it's like we talked about Nolan a few weeks ago on this show about like how it's 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 really his time. And that's why he's getting his moment really uh, with Oppenheimer and everything. But he has shaped the movie industry in so many different ways, not just because of who he is as a filmmaker, but how he makes his movies, what his movies represent, what they feel like. It's really like it, it in many ways has kind of I mean, for example, the Sony Spider-Man films with Mark Webb and, and Andrew Garfield, those were very much inspired in a lot of Nolan's, you know, basically aesthetic and a lot yeah. of blockbusters followed down that road it did not work out very well for most of those franchises in you know in fact i would argue that's what that's what killed the spider-man universe too because they tried to do a a mid a mid franchise pivot as well um visually tone wise everything yeah. that that first amazing spider-man film is completely different from the amazing I mean, it's Spider-Man, it's completely too. in night time. There's no like light, I don't, any daytime sequences. I Everything remember. had to be more grounded and realistic because it has to be the dark night of such and such. I less uh, heightened and less sincere. Yeah. Um, and then by the time the Amazing Spider-Man two, I think the the MCU was kind of it was up and running big time. So then, of course. That movie looks completely different, feels completely different. All of a sudden, they go from the super ultra realistic Spider-Man outfit to just fucking the spider, the regular Spider-Man outfit. Um, yeah, you can't help you can't help but wonder where things would be if instead of Z- Snyder's name uh, coming up, we would have Matthew Vaughn. It would have been so much better. So much better. Um, I love Zack Snyder. I really do. And I think there's a reason why so many people love Zack Snyder. I mean, like, in the industry. I'm not talking about, like, his cult. Um, he seems like a genuinely great guy. And I do like him as a film. Well, at least I grew up liking him as a filmmaker. Um, but I do think he's a little captured by his audience. In it sounds the way... like he's gone a bit gonzo since the whole Snyder thing blew up. Yeah. Um, but I haven't you been can't, I mean, with him. He feels, I got to say though, I mean, there's reason to feel that way. I mean, Netflix keeps footing the bill for his movies. So I don't think and, they make that much viewership though. I don't know. I know yeah. you didn't say we were going to review, uh, Rebel Moon. You, you, by all means, go ahead. I, I would give a quick review. I love Zack Snyder. I adore Zack Snyder. I really do. Rebel Moon is by far the worst film of the year. 
It is garbage. It is terrible. Um, I don't think I have the words for how awful a film it is. I really don't. Um, because even in the films where I just, I didn't like, there was always, you could always respect Snyder for so much of the things he did great. Like BVS, you, I guess you can go back and still listen to, that was, I think that's one of our best ones. Our, yes our reviews the one uh mm -hmm. right when it first came out and of we have course, a review and an audio commentary yeah. in feed history um but i was i was pretty heated <laughs> during the the initial review like the day after we saw it but there's still so much respect i have for that film and and zack snyder in the things he does so well he he did visually make um make a, a really well-made film the action scenes are genuinely genuinely really really good especially the patman action scenes he really went for it in a lot of ways and in, in, in very interesting ways f with the story there's a lot to respect uh, about that and that's why i even said like i would want him to have the snyder cut i think um even though me and you weren't fans <laughs> about the crazy snyder people i i think we also both agreed the the right thing to do would be give him that cut and i'm really glad that yeah. it, that he got it um but none of none of the things i've loved and respected about him as a filmmaker in the past are here in rebel moon there, there's not even any risks really with the, it's so boring mm -hmm. the dialogue is the it's most long. it's so long the dialogue is terrible it's Terrible. so long, and it's not even the the full cut. There's like a, a four hour version <laughs> of it coming down the cut. line. Visually, it's ugly. It's an yeah. ugly film. It's not interesting in the least. The action isn't good at all. I can't the name a, a single good action scene. I can attack the acting. Yeah, the acting wasn't good. But mm -hmm. I remember this was the first time in a long time where I watched a movie and I visibly sort of like cringed at the dialogue it, it really felt like like a 11 year old boy wrote it. it so genuinely terrible like i can't think of a single redeeming thing about that film i think there's two things i think i liked two creature designs okay and that was it there was there was okay i do you remember when they're at the bar, there's like this little goopy thing that's like connected to a human. And then it like talks through the human. I forgot it. Okay. I, I thought that it. was really cool. I like the little, I like, if you show me sci-fi and Muppets, I'll, awesome. Um, and then it I think... goes a long way like that uh, Peyton Reed Mandalorian episode. Yes. I saw a big ant and I'm like. And we hate Peyton Reed. <laughs> I don't hate He's him. He's terrible. But I hate his because movies. Because we, we hate, yes. Yeah. That's the thing. This this felt almost like a Peyton Reed-esque movie. <laughs> Maybe that's why um, I hated it. Cause, damn. Cause, do you disagree? Because it's boring no, and not no. interesting. Like, I imagine watching it, I imagine was very similar to like Ant-Man Quantumania. Where it's like ugly and boring and yes and all you yes. can think is like man what a wasted 
potential and yeah it's exactly i mean i've seen both of those films mm-hmm. and i'll tell you they're side by side as um the two worst movies of 2023 they share a lot of things in common for sure yeah um yeah and again i mean zack snyder it, it, himself is a big part as to why the, the genre has been suffering i mean you were saying that there were things that you can take away from his recent films that you can like, okay, I still like this guy. But as a reminder on the whole, you aggressively did not like Man of Steel, BVS, the Justice League Snyder Cut. Uh, yes. Did you enjoy at all Army of Darkness? I don't even recall if you did. There was some fun ideas in there. There, there was that spark of creativity that you, that you find with Snyder. I'm like, it wasn't a good movie. And, 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 and I don't think it helps that his first movie, uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake, is one of my favorite zombie flicks. Like, it's legitimately mm. really fun, really well done. Um, and then, so this is another zombie flick by him, and I'm like, it doesn't stack up in the same way. It's, 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 it's the same thing where he has, he's throwing out all these ideas, but he doesn't have any good writer to, like, center them and, 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 really make it work he wants to be his own cinematographer now so his films visually have suffered greatly because of that um i I think i've talked about this before with other directors there's so many great directors that i feel get in their own way of actually making good films because they want to be the writer director they want to write their scripts and tell their stories but they don't have anything to say and they're not good writers. We can name so many names. There's so point. many names. Gareth Edwards. J.J. Abrams. That's the other one. Um, there's there's more I could probably think of. Um, but those are the main ones I think of when I talk about that. Where it's like, damn, you have so much talent as a director that if you just got out of your own way and then just took a good script from a good writer and not act stupid like you'd be producing banger after banger (sighs) yeah Yeah. um but of course uh, that shouldn't take any of the blame off of uh marvel studios themselves because their quality has been they've dipped so so hard um i mean you gotta we haven't here's the thing we're we're now living at a time Remember, at one point in time, this podcast was completely consumed with... I mean, it was basically the Marvel podcast at one point. I mean, it was like Marvel this, Marvel that, all these, you know, movies. And then when they did the Netflix shows, and like we went all in. And with the Disney Plus shows, Endgame, that whole craze. The last time I think we we talked about Marvel on this show, I think was November, early November. Like three months ago, when uh, that last movie came out, and that was it. Oh wait, no, we we did talk about it briefly um, a few weeks ago when um, they were uh, announcing all the latest things that uh, with Daredevil. Yeah, uh, we mentioned Echo existed, but mm. none of us saw Echo. I think it already. Dropped. I saw the it first didn't... episode. Okay, it was all right. I heard. I heard it was well. That's what I was hearing. Was <laughs> Basically, right. that's the review. All right. <laughs> that's what I was hearing. And then there were other people who were 
not so kind comparing it to CW stuff. Uh, the action they, scene they, with her and Daredevil was real good. Okay, they were calling it the CW version of an of, of a Marvel Netflix show. That's what some comments were saying about it. Um, yeah, it, it's a really strange time uh, with Marvel Studios because really all they have on, on the plate is Deadpool three, and even still, the fact that all of us have such negative feelings toward them, I think we're still pulling out for that film. You know, holding out hope that we're gonna end up liking it a lot. Uh, Deadpool three, I should say. Um, oh yeah, for sure. I think I'm. I think I'm gonna love Deadpool three. I do. I'm hoping you're right, uh, and I, I definitely w- would love to live in a world where that um, is true. Um, but everything else has just like you can you can tell that they know it because they're laying low. Um, with I mean they're laying low as if they as in there's nothing really to talk about in their department, but they're also the way that they're completely overhauling Daredevil and how. They're overcorrect, not overcorrecting, but they're they're going out of their way to basically just say we to give all the we're, fans, we're giving in we 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 give up we fucked up sorry <laughs> basically um, can you believe like the extent of which they were like wow we really fucked up guys and just to make sure we're on the same page we're just gonna give you season four even though it's not at all what the planned season four of the show was, they're going to do their best to make it feel as if it was by bringing back more of the original cast, including two characters who, by the way, they were going to kill off <laughs> and not have involved at all. Well, have you heard some of the rumors? Uh, n- no, because I'm not interested. But if okay. you'd like to, please go ahead and talk about the rumors. Well, I don't know if it's rumors. I don't know if it's speculation. I Or leaks. This is what I'm worried about as well, that they're still going to try. And can, I, can I stop you? Can I, what, yeah. What's there to worry about? Like, are we are we seriously caring about this? I know that some people yes. and they're going to care, but like, what's there to care about? Yes. We know what it's going to be. Kevin Feige is still in charge. Well, hold on. If you let people finish the words that are coming out of their mouth. I'm going to let you finish. OK, but right, I just got to like. Pre- oh, God. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> You called me a Nazi. <laughs> oh, basically. Ooh, the swastika fits. Okay. So. <laughs> Go ahead. There is worry that, because they shot a lot of shit, right? For They, the, they shot it almost, well, they, okay, they almost gonna... shot an, an entirely other show. Um, At and, least four or five were filmed. Yes. And the worry is. Or the speculation is that they're trying to still use what they <laughs> shot and salvage what they shot and sort of incorporate it into the stuff that they're filming now. So the worry is maybe Foggy and what's her name still die, except now they shoot like three episodes before of them before that happens. Or uh, and stuff like that. It, it, it's like they have all these scraps, and the worry wow. is they're trying to still use those, and so they're trying to sort of write in. Because I think I heard they're already filming, and they didn't know what the episode count of the season was going to be. 
That is correct. Days before, a few weeks ago, that they were, because at the moment they are filming the show, days before they were about to film, uh, one of the people close to the show had said that they're, they had no idea how many episodes they were going to do. Which, in a vacuum, that is unbelievably bad. In a vacuum, mind you. When you add it on top of the mess that this already is, um, this is like 10,000 times worse than bad. Uh, Peter, I yeah. feel like everything you just said on so many levels, if that is true, and you know, of course you want to If it's your, true, if, I'm throwing if, in the towel. Like, <laughs> If it's true, before we get there, mm -hmm. let's put the towel back on. Let's just give it a okay. minute. If it's true on so many levels almost immediately, that is so much worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is so much worse than what the original plan even was. Because what you're basically doing here is it's kind of like a cock tease, right? It's like, oh, we're going to bring back these actors for five minutes, which is more than zero minutes. But we're still going to end up killing them off. And then they're not really going to be part of the show. Yeah. I To me, it's... <laughs> Honestly, I would not have as much of an issue with it. If it was an entirely new script and storyline, um, original by these new writers and new showrunners that they had written and planned out and been like, okay, we're going, we're going to do this. Then I could at least, maybe they can pull it off well, you know, story-wise. But if they're trying to do it to just be like, we already shot shit and it costs so much money, we're going to use it. So just try and write around because the reason why so much of everything marvel puts out is utter garbage is because of this right here they they start filming without two f fucking ideas about what they're filming and what they're trying to make they get halfway through production realize it's completely fucked try and start over and then at most they they come out with something that isn't too incoherent but most of the time it's just garbage and you can tell wow this movie was fucked from the beginning behind the scenes and they're still doing it they're doing that with captain america they shot most of the film realized it's crap they're doing these massive which rewrites, is why it's not coming out this year it's coming out next year reshoots yep and it's just what is it gonna take to like just have a script and a director, an idea for what you want the movie to be before you hit play. But wait a minute, Peter. I thought recording. that moment already happened. I thought that them basically admitting that they were going to reshoot Daredevil and then remember that there was this whole talking points memo that from now on, when it came to doing TV shows, they were going to test pilots. They were going to have a show Bible. They were going to actually have show runners in a dedicated writer's room. Oh, was that all just a bunch of bullshit? Was that a lie? Because, again, the, imp the impression is that they want us to feel, they want us to think that they're doing a course correction. And yet. Everything we've just talked about yeah. is completely just against that. No, here's the thing. Maybe they are. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say they are doing a course correction. They're doing a course correction when they've already filmed half of the series slash movie. 
So a course correction is, it's just going to fuck it up more. It's, it's like what we were just talking about with DC. They tried to do a course correction when they were already going in one direction. Which is why we have two versions of Justice League. Yeah. Neither of them good. Neither of them great. Maybe Snyder's can say good. I, I wasn't hot on it. I know a it's lot more good than the other one. Oh, for sure. Um, maybe you'll see better stuff come whatever comes out after whatever they start shooting now. Uh, but when it comes to Daredevil and Captain America, which again, man, they had a lot to prove with Daredevil, like a lot to prove. So if they fuck it up, like people are gonna they're gonna be done, right? Do you honestly? Honest, be be level with me here, mm-hmm. Peter. Do you really think they they have a, a chance to pull it off at the end? I mean, I because I, yes. I've, I've okay. Well, I felt and I'll tell you like why. all right. Go ahead. The Spider-Man films, specifically No Way Home. Um, I don't think those are great films. I think you can tell how mishandled and and thrown together that film is i think it's ugly i think it's not well directed i i think a lot well of well shot well shot well um, written yeah but they pulled it together enough in a way that a lot of people loved and i'll admit i even i enjoyed to a certain extent and you as well yeah um so they can do something like that with daredevil uh, but the chances of succeeding are a lot more slim, I think. I will say we need to uh, say a couple of things here. This is this has always been my my feeling. Before any of this really blew up, let's just go about a, a year ago in time. Mm-hmm. It still seemed rather foolhardy to attempt a version on Daredevil that included some of the major actors when the original show would already be sitting there on Disney Plus for people to just go ahead and immediately... Com- the, you, the invitations to compare it to the original were going to happen no matter what, but the fact that it was already sitting there on Disney Plus was going to invite that discussion even more so. Now, they've kind of doubled down on that because now they're going to have a lot of the the cast returning... But again, what's not being discussed is, and I get you, of course, that a lot of these people have jobs elsewhere now, but the main team, the writing, the directing team, the choreographers of the Netflix Daredevil three-season show, not one of those people are back. See, that's the thing. That Especially that first season, they hired really talented people. Like, really talented Who's the showrunner? Um, I think the director. Well, I, if I'm not mistaken, the the weren't the writers a part of Loki? You like, mean again, for the, the new season? I think. Well, I'm talking about the one that Kevin Feige is working on right now. The one that Marvel Studios is working on. And again, this yeah, is, but was it he, Drew Goddard, uh, the showrunner for Daredevil? I don't know if he, that was his title. Um, 
Yeah, I uh, we have to look it up right now just to be clear here. But I just also want to say that as far as the new team is concerned, yeah, he was the um, showrunner. Okay, and guess what? He's an amazing fucking director. Is it coming out this year or next year? I don't. I don't know. I don't pay that much attention. Oh, Daredevil: Born Again. It's next year. Um, because look, the the people who are working on it right now, it's just the same thing that Kevin Feige pulls, right? Like he has his Loki team. That's taking care of it, right? Although, did you see the the new season of Loki? I did not. No. Okay. I. You know what? I. I. They pulled it off. Okay. A lot of people didn't watch. I would say give it a chance because remember we really enjoyed the first season, but the biggest issue for us was the sort of open ended fifth episode where it's like this isn't going to give us a very satisfying conclusion to loki Mm -hmm. um but they gave a very satisfying conclusion at least to me for loki okay i mean Um, give it a chance i i'd be very interested to see how you felt i mean i could say the same about another show say it say it but um it, it seems like it's a waste of time as it was. Whoa, wait, whoa, whoa. Is this show canon? Dario Scarpdepan, Scarpdepan, who worked as a writer mm-hmm. on Netflix's uh, Daredevil spinoff series, The Punisher, was hired to serve as showrunner for Born Again. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then filmmaking duo Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead who previously worked on uh, Moon Knight and the second season of Loki, were hired to direct the remaining episodes of the first season. You see how they say remaining? What the fuck? I did not notice that before. The remaining... (laughs) Okay. Um, Let me see here. Uh, Soon after, Scarpton Payne joined the project. D'Onofrio and the main creatives of the series got... Okay, whatever. Um, okay, ahead of restarting in January, Born Again was reported to have a lower episode count than the 18 episodes originally announced, though it was also reported to be one big 18-episode limited series with nine-episode halves. In the latter report, the second half was said to not be called a second season due to contractual reasons. D'Onofrio was unsure how many episodes Marvel Studios were now looking to create and said that the number kept fluctuating. Um, by this time, Scarpa DePayne had written a new pilot episode and two additional episodes for the first half of the series. Okay. See... I feel there is enough here to justify why I feel like it, it. This is just Kevin Feige 101 and his practices continuously fuck his projects. The fact that D'Onofrio says that the episode count keeps fluctuating, that's textbook Kevin Feige. And this is what I mean. I don't know why people refuse to call him out specifically. He's the one who was handed Daredevil. A very popular character, by the way. They he could have gotten a, if if he had gotten a movie instead of a TV series, 
I think it would have made more money than like the last f- five of their feature films, except maybe Guardians. But it w- it would have done pretty damn well. It's it's he's a well known comic character. There's a reason his film was made before an Iron Man or a Captain America back with Ben Amf- Ben Affleck back in the day. Um, and what does he do? He hired two writer showrunners that have zero experience writing or showrunning anything except garbage. And he hands them the keys to Daredevil. And then he, I guess, you know, surprised Pikachu face when they're halfway through shooting and everyone's like, oh, it's boring and it sucks. Whoopsie. God forbid you hire someone with a lot of talent like a Drew Goddard to show run. Like, think about it. Why isn't he going after talent like this? I mean, we kind of know why, but it's... I wish people would call out his business practices more like this. Because they're the they're the reason why everything they produce now sucks. Yeah, that's why I'm just like... um. Anything that has Kevin Feige attached to it and I end up liking it would really be miraculous. So I'm really surprised to hear you say that you enjoyed Loki season two. Um, Because he was very much involved in that for sure. And yet ended up being okay in the end. Um, Yeah, I just got to say, though, uh, I would say that I feel bad. And I do on some level because, I, you know, Daredevil coming back should have been something really big and to like really be excited for and to be celebrated. And, you know, you, you hope you're happy. You want to be happy for Charlie Cox and D'Onofrio and everybody else. But it very clearly is to us here on, on this show, one of those situations where you can hope for the best, but ultimately deep down, you know, which way it's going to go. Um, and I could I could pretend that I'm overly sad about it. I'm not. I would say that uh, for me, I, I will say it's a form of vengeance. Um, and I will take that for what it is. Um, again, I got to get my licks anywhere I can. Um, so if it ultimately ends up crashing down and um, many, 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 many people um who were being obnoxiously annoying about it for years and years end up suffering i'm not gonna cry about that but what what kind of people are you talking about good sir um i think everybody knows and i think it also plays into uh the feeling that we've had lately with avatar the last airbender last week on this show um david lexus and i were talking about some not a whole not all of the the controversial things that were surrounding the show at that at that point in time, we were only discussing the comments that were made by Sokka's actor uh, about you know elements that were removed from the character and how much of an issue that kind of created for us uh, and then for themselves. Um, but we didn't really uh, we didn't have the comments yet about um, the detours uh, or I guess the emphasis on the violence that they would show. Um, and I'm, and I guess downplaying Katara's, um, I guess motherly role or something. There was a lot of comments that have been made by the team, 
uh, of this live action remake and every single last one of those comments have has been disastrous but then again this is why i draw the comparison with daredevil it's an example of deep down we knew this was never going to be something that would work out. And this is for a different reason. That's because live action remakes just as a concept don't work out. And then even more so, anytime that Kunetsko and DiMartino leave um, an Avatar project, it doesn't end well. And I feel like... Um, it's it's amazing how much they keep getting fucked with. Right? When it comes to their Avatar projects. You'd think that uh, something of a lesson would have been learned down the line, right? But it... it, it doesn't seem that the it was and so you kind of just left wondering uh peter uh, I, I really want to get your take on here like mm-hmm. i know ultimately you and i fall down on this as well on this one point just to get out of the way with people who have been openly cheering for live action remakes of all animated properties complaining about elements being changed just as a concept have no right bitching about that because this is exactly what you wanted, right? Yeah. You, you wanted a live action remake of, of of something that really shouldn't have been messed with at all. Okay, now you have it. Okay, but now the fact that they're making any kind of changes just on paper and you're like, what? They're making changes? Well, how dare you? You people are shut the fuck up. Yeah, for sure. Um, I th- now, that's what really pisses. Just just to say my two cents real quick. Mm-hmm. That really bothers me when people are like, get really excited about um, the idea of something. And then when that something happens and they're like, what? what? How dare you? And it's like, what the fuck do you think you were cheering for? You know, it, not to make it political, but it reminds me of um, <laughs> those people with that would uh, during the healthcare fight that's like tell uh, the government to keep their hands off my my uh medicare and, and shit like that and it's like so you're you're advanced stupid like like you don't know what you're cheerleading and i see a lot of people do that um like real quick a recently video game just came out um a suicide squad i don't know if you've seen a suicide squad video game um big 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 video game a lot of people are unhappy with it Mm. and there's a lot of reasons that i think are very legitimate to be unhappy with it but then i hear people and it's certain issues that they have with it and it makes me want to like tear my eyes out it's so stupid because it's called suicide squad kills the justice league so guess what happens they kill the Justice League. They kill the Justice League. And as advertised. As advertised. And a lot of people are like, this is so disrespectful to Batman. They're disrespecting the fans. Oh my god. Harley Quinn. Oh, spoilers. Just, just fucking shoots Batman in the face and he dies. And it's like, listen. There's a million complaints you can have for the video game that I think are 100% legitimate. Maybe even the way that they're killed. You're like, hey, story-wise, they just didn't pull it off well. Like, But there are people that are like, this is, just, this is a middle finger to the fans. And, and it's like, Jesus Christ, like, shut the fuck up. And, and, and I feel a little bit like that, too, with um, the live-action uh 
uh, what do you call it? Uh, Avatar series. Because as you remember, I wasn't a fan of this. You were not. We both agreed like, oh, this is a stupid idea. It can only be lesser. You're going to have to make compromises. It's not going to be good. And then all these people cheerleaded, cheerleaded it. And then now the chickens come home to roost and it's like, what? You're going to cut content and make changes? And it's like, yeah, this was always going to happen to make the adaption a reality. And now you're mad about it? Fuck you. Like, I feel like that's a good place to start. Um, yeah. I think the the of the things that was being criticized by fans, the the one thing that I felt that I was the least sympathetic toward was them cutting out a lot of the filler. Now, there's a couple of things to be said about that. Mm-hmm. For one, just from a structural standpoint, because of budgetary reasons, uh, which, by the way, in and of itself is just one of the glaring examples why animation is a superior medium to live action because you have yeah. to worry about that. Uh, but you're taking 20 episodes and you're taking them into eight. Duh. A lot of the stuff was going to be cut out. Um, and so that is I'm the least sympathetic towards, although I do feel there is some validity to the concerns made by people that this is just one, another one of those things uh, as far as the attitude of the of the creatives on this show that shows that they're not quite as understanding of characterization. Yes. That's the thing though. They are valid. They're right. When they say, yeah, this shows that the people behind it aren't right. But that's because they're the people making a live action avatar series. If you understood the last airbender, you would not have championed a live action series. I, I I guess it kind of circular comes back yeah, to it's a logical conclusion. Like yeah. what did you think was gonna happen? Yeah. When it was announced. They weren't gonna literally make like it's like you have to honestly like consider for a second. Did these people actually think they were going to do every single sequence again just to do it in live action? That that you really expected sixty episodes. And did you actually think they were going to look better, have better action, acted better, visually be more interesting? Like, I... Uh, um, But I know the other stuff is what you want to get to, which you have more of an issue, which is removing the sexism from Sokka and removing, I guess, the the more motherly nature... Or, or those are key characterization things that we can talk about. But I did want to get. Oh, I thought that's where uh, you were going. Okay. Yes, I I was going to go to. I just don't want us to lose one of the other comments that was made in that. Um, I I thought to me it was kind of, you know, bordering on parody. Uh, the person whoever their name is that does the show now saying that they uh, kind of dismissing. Uh, again, fundamentally misunderstanding what was happening, but dismissing uh, the show, basically saying that, that the show never really dwelled on the the siege of the Air Nomads, like the actual war that happened, and him basically saying, I want to see it. See, and so he wants to, yeah. But this is what I mean, right? This is the same shit we see every time there's a live action Disney remake. It's half an hour longer. 
and and they go like, well, you know, in the original movie animated film, we didn't really see this, you know. There wasn't really much to this character, so we're adding in all kinds of detail. Just a bunch of cosmetic changes that give off the illusion of any kind of change. Yeah, and then also they add shit that just isn't necessary and does nothing but fuck up the flow of the film and just just all around ruin it, you know? And, like and a I, beetle carrying a piece of shit. Yeah, we need to see that beetle roll that piece of shit because it's integral now. Uh, and that's the same. And yeah, I can see the same thing here where it's like, what do we do to change it? I know, just show the thing we weren't we weren't shown before. Uh, yes, that'll be good. And it's like, again, if you like, I agree, if you understood the the type of storytelling they were going for, not seeing it is sort of key. Because we're with Aang. He's our protagonist. The fact that he missed this, right? Because he ran away and he wasn't there to either defend them or just whatever and, and sort of feel that responsibility. Um, I think that's important. And in the same way that he didn't see it, I think it's important that we don't see it. I don't know. It's And, and again, yeah, connecting that to the, all the other comments, Sokka sexism. It's literally called character growth. He starts off with backwards views on women and stuff like that. And then by the end of the episode, women literally teach him to be a better warrior and he grows as a person. I think there's, isn't there an episode with Sokka like that too? With, with the, the water. There's a whole episode where he's like, you're a girl. I'm not going to teach you. And then she's like, fuck you. Icicles. Um, it it really feels like it's it's being made by like um executives that are like oh those those kids they're not hip on sexism take all that out without having any understanding of like what storytelling is it's like it's just so to me it's so um unbelievably inept. Because yeah. you're doing more, it's, it's, you're doing more harm by just pretending it doesn't exist than by actually having it be showcased and dismissed as it was in the original um, show. Like if you like, did a, sex, a, just, a, just because it was present doesn't mean it was promoted. It was actually like, yeah, the whole show itself did a lot to destroy how much of a stupid mentality that is. It's like imagine you did a Beauty and the Beast remake, and you're like, Beast is kind of angry. I, you know, it's not really nice the way he treats Belle. We're going to have him be nice from the beginning. And it's like, okay, just just ruin the whole story, right? Just a fatal lack of understanding of, of what you're doing or what you're saying. And the thing is, because you already see, there's already plenty, plenty of examples that they have just dropped the ball on characterization. They, well, there you go. That's it. There's the whole ball game. It's It's done. It's cooked. Yeah, see, those are things that I don't... That's where I'm like, you didn't need to change this. This didn't need to... Like, the the whole thing of, like, actually, we can't have them stopping every two seconds because we don't have 22 episodes. Okay, I get it. It's an adaption. Eight episodes, you got to sort of condense it a little bit more. But the whole thing of, like, let's just remove Sokka's entire character arc, that's not necessary. 
same with a lot of all the other shit they said yeah it'll be really interesting to see um how this is received and if it and ends up uh rivaling or eclipsing the reception to the Shyamalan movie I think it's gonna have some fans just because For people sure. people like to see that thing they like that was animated and is now live action which sure whatever um but I honestly like a lot of things at best it'll be lukewarm at best I'll be like I don't hate it it has there's no reason for it to exist the animated shows better in every single way um it's telling the exact same story only worse yeah it'll be like yeah. the Disney live action remakes basically which is what something we said was going to happen from the very beginning. Yeah. Not at all a surprise whatsoever. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and get into our reviews uh, for today. Um, we're going to actually start off with No One Will Save You, uh, which is oh. streaming on Hulu right now. This is, I believe, from Searchlight. So imagine at one point this was supposed to be in theaters. It was not because, of course, Disney purchased fox and killed fox and so what disney does now is um if they don't like or i guess they just half of the searchlight films that were fox films they dump on hulu and then never sees a physical media release so um yeah yeah oh no one will save you a home invasion no one saw coming an exile, an exiled, anxiety-ridden homebody must battle an alien who's found its way into her home. Now that's just the that's the movie in a nutshell, right there. Um, real quick, Hulu has been putting out what I call genre bangers. Mm. These small genre films that are just so much fun, and um, I would say this one, Prey um the uh the new fucking what uh pinhead what's it called hell hellraiser the new hellraiser mm. um a lot of really neat uh genre horror type films that 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 have been appearing on hulu and i'm a fan this is one of them this is this is one of those films it's, it's like my favorite genre a film which is tight, uh, well-made, no bullshit uh, genre film. It's a it's a home invasion with aliens. Good character, um, a lot of fun, great tension. I I really enjoy. It. I love these kinds of films, and you know because I, I always talk about them. <laughs> I mean, I feel exactly the same way. Like Crawl um, or Ready I mean, uh, or Not, it, you know, films mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. No, they're 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 very much up my alley as well. It's just a lot of fun, and in this one particularly, um, it 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 I I I think more than delivered on uh, what you would want out of this film. Um, on all those things you mentioned, uh, and I think also was really dependent on the lead performance because she anchors the film in, in ways that you're not quite expecting. I, For me, anyway. Um, what was surprising about it was that it really, more or less, was 
a silent film. Yeah. In that there really wasn't any kind of dialogue in the movie itself. At, at one point, I think you hear the, the aliens speak, but of course they're aliens, so you don't understand that. Uh, now, that isn't to say that the film is devoid of sound. No, there's actually plenty of sound in the picture, but it just so happens that um, the characters in the film don't really speak. And I, honestly, it took me... It took me, uh, I think, almost 10 to 15 minutes before I realized, are they ever going to talk? Um, I don't know why it took me that long. It ended up not being the case. But I think what, what makes it... I think that element actually makes the film that much more special, if you ask me. Because I think a lot of the things that are um, realities for these characters, you really do have to piece together. Um, and you can't really have any kind of clarity until it becomes addressed. I want to say uh, close around the third act uh, or, or, or close to it when it becomes clear what exactly is going on. Uh, Caitlin Deaver here um, is basically living alone and very clearly is not w- well liked by the residents of the community. Yeah. Um, and you can tell there's really a lot tr- of trauma underlying and you can very clearly tell from the beginning that this is just a person that wants to get on with their life, but she's not being allowed to by those around her. And then thing aliens show up and start fucking things uh, up. Uh, although in a rather inventive way, uh, well, maybe that's not the right way of, of, this is not usually the kind of invasions you see in films. Um, from a st- strategic standpoint, that kind of made the horror elements in here that much scarier uh that everybody's homes were being simultaneously invaded um oh by yeah a single alien. when they when they revealed that of oh, spoilers you said spoilers right <laughs> they like sure <laughs> sure they like at some point when like they, in the movie they like pull back and you realize like the rest of the town as far as you could see was getting fucked with and you see all these other flying saucers and explosions you're like, holy shit, there's a whole other movie going on right yeah. now. There's so um, much happening that you don't see. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, what we do see there is almost always uh, rather exhilarating. Like just, I mean, so much of it is Caitlin Deaver having to hide in her own home. The tension. And then they really do drag it out. Not drag it out, but they, 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 they perfectly time out when to reveal... Um, the look of these aliens, um, they're not necessarily the most creative of designs, but I didn't really mind. I liked how they looked. I like um, the, the simple alien. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It's like, it's the classic alien look. Basically, when you think of alien, you think like a whole, a humanoid, bizarre looking creature. That, that's what you think of. Like Roger from American Dad, basically. Yeah. Um, only they were pretty fucking cutthroat um like and some of them had really interesting abilities like one of the one of the first moments i jumped was in her first interaction with the alien that was invading her house um when it was revealed that they had the ability of telepathy um and in in basically just like threw her halfway across the house and i'm like what the fuck you're you're how do you get out of this one um, 
that because I didn't know that that was something that they could do until it was revealed. Um, and then things <laughs> didn't necessarily improve all for the most. Like I had a sneaking suspicion in the back of my mind that because in the first you know moments, it, you it does dwell on just her being at home. You're not sure until down the road later if what happened to her was isolated until you see a particular wreck in the road and like, oh, okay, I can kind of see what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and, and then ultimately where it ended up, ended up going. So um, that being said, although you could tell very early on what kind of film it's going to be and where it's going to go, um, there are a couple of reveals here that you uh, you don't necessarily get or will get unless you get through the whole thing of it. That is the 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 circumstance for uh, the trauma that this lead character is going through, and then ultimately, the ending of the film itself um, is not something I think that could have been predicted. And I think in both cases, I actually really liked those particular twists. Um, I know um, you like the ending, yeah. Yeah. Um, for people that don't know, Alexis Soto, it's literally his dream come true. I, I I would never characterize it as such, but I'm not going to argue against the merit of uh, of it. Um, I I do think <laughs> it is one of the most bizarrely fucked up happy endings you'll see all year. Yeah, in that even the fact that there was a happy ending was really just kind of jarring, but in the best way possible, because that's not something that you think is ever on the table. Like when these things happen, it's like, well, that's it, right? Like there's, there's no one's making out of this thing alive. Yeah. And if they do, I, I it'll think, be like. Yeah. By the, t when it started getting towards the end and you noticed how fucking crazy things were getting, I was like, how are they going to end this? <laughs> I mean, society basically has collapsed. It's over. Like, th that's the thing. Left. You didn't collapse. It was replaced. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. It was like replaced instantaneously. Yeah, I thought the ending was pretty amazing. Yeah. Um so yeah, if you guys haven't seen it, it's on Hulu. It's yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, go check it out, guys. What's it called? No one no one will save you. Right. Yeah. No one will save you. The next one we'll be talking about is a film that's actually been playing in theaters uh for a while now. And Peter and I saw it, Jesus, over a month ago at this point. Um Did we? Cause, yeah, because now we're in February and we saw this in December. So it's been over a month. Uh, the Iron Claw. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it was such a long ass time. I was like, we what are you saw, talking about? We Well, we saw the Iron Claw on the same day we saw the color purple. This must have been like the day after Christmas or two days after Christmas, I think. It's pretty, yeah. Yeah. And that was already over a month ago. All right, here we go. The Iron Claw. Sons, brothers, champions. <laughs> the true story of the inseparable, inseparable Von Erich brothers who made history in the intensely competitive world of professional wrestling in the early 1980s. Through tragedy and triumph, under the shadow of their domineering father and coach, the brothers seek a larger-than-life immortality on the biggest stage in sports. Starring your favorite white boys. Zach Efron, Jeremy Allen, Harris Dickinson, Holt 
McElhenney, and a bunch of other people. The Iron Claw. I'm going to say this. I'm not going to say it was snubbed, but it's one of those movies that I enjoyed so much coming out of it. Um, and still to this day, it stayed with me. I'm pretty bummed. I feel it was overlooked this year. I feel like in another year, it would be getting a lot of awards. Um, nominations, I think you would see a Zac Efron Best Actor nomination. I think you'd see a Best Picture nomination. Um, it's, it's just a really, really well-made film. And when you look at the vast history of the story that they had to tell, I think it, it, it was so well done the way that story was condensed into mm-hmm. a, a two and a half hour film. And just about anyone who, who has seen it will tell you by the end of that film, you're fucking emotionally shattered. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites of the year. Without question, it is a great film um, on a variety of different levels. I love the, the look of it, the cinematography. Um, I thought the direction was pretty great. And of course, it kind of lives and dies on its performances. And mm-hmm. they m- really over-delivered in that department. And I think what you definitely see here is one of the best ensemble casts of the year. Uh, it, it needs to be a strong ensemble because of the the nature of the film. And I think it's been out long enough and enough have seen it where we're going to just, you know, it's a spoiler territory at this point. But it is such a tragic tale in that the majority of these people die tragically. Um, and so in order for those deaths to hit, you need to like them. You need to kind of, you know, get a sense of connection with the family. And I think uh, they more than delivered in that department. Um, in any other year, this would be kind of a lock in categories like picture, screenplay, makeup, actor supporting actor steroids uh yep oh maybe even um stunt if they had a stunt category if they had a stunt category yeah yeah. yeah, they had one that would definitely be a consideration for sure um and i feel like i'm gonna do my best to just like not touch the thing that you wouldn't touch (laughs) with a 10-foot pole which is like getting into whole the snub thing because people are Mm -hmm. They're they're hyper lately about like you know, I guess uh policing people who are using the word snub. And I know that's not what you It's more of just this. recognition of the film. That's the thing and, and the lack thereof mm-hmm. when it comes to this film particularly, because I do think that um this definitely was of a caliber that deserved to be recognized in one way or another, uh, in this awards season. But I do feel like there is reason to be upset at that more than just the fact that it was overlooked but when you look into the reasons for why it was overlooked and then that's where the anger comes from that comes down to the reality of awards season the realities of all of these awards seasons in that um a24 did not make this film a priority their priorities were other films that by the way did get nominated like past lives and the zone of interest um, that's the thing. That's the thing. You, you can't even say that they fucked up 
right? Mm-hmm. The only thing you can chastise them for is releasing too many good films. <laughs> and at that point, you know... Many were saying that they should have just saved this particular film for uh, the following year. And we can say that, but maybe they got a couple of films they're releasing next year that in their mind, they, they've already gone like, oh, yeah, like this. this, this like is Civil a, War. A war. Yeah, like Civil War, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> this, this has some, awa- some awards we can push with them. Um, yeah, it's tough. I don't, a lot of people, I think, not a lot of people, but some people kind of made A24 the villain of this story. I don't think they are. It's just a difficult villain. Uh, No, I don't think it's, they're the, the, the rightful villain. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you can make some points that they didn't help the film and they had other priorities. Sure. But that's not necessarily that they're just playing the game, right? Yeah. It's the game. It's a, ultimately, it's that's politics. the problem. And the problem lately is that if you come out in December, you're not going to be seriously considered unless you're amazing, amazing, amazing. Unless you're like one of the best things that come out legitimately in the whole year, like Avatar was, like it was last year. I wouldn't even. Um, I wouldn't even say amazing, amazing, amazing. Is if it's if you got amazing um, buzz. Yes. Amazing, amazing, amazing buzz. Well, yeah. It, it, it's really what it comes down to. Yeah. But like, like we saw, I mean, the Iron Claw and the Color Purple. Well, Color Purple has other problems, but I mean, they both ended up coming out at the same time. And guess what? They've both basically just been ignored. Color Purple um, has at least had got a few. some. Yeah. yeah, it just got some nominations, but still, it only got one <laughs> at one nomination. Uh, it's one's better than zero, obviously. Um, but still, I do think that. Um, the reality is, if you are a film that's hoping to vie for some awards, don't come out in December. Unless, and if you do come out in December, Not at the end, screen screen your shit to critics. Yes, uh, way ahead of time, premiere it at the festivals. Uh, that way, there's chatter and there's buzz, and have awards screenings for it. That's the key here. Send out those screeners ahead of time. Don't delay, 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 delay. Um. And that's what happened to this film, unfortunately. But, you know, to say less about that and more about the film itself, uh, what a completely transformational role for Zac Efron. This is the kind of role that I think I've kind of been waiting to see from him in for as long as over a decade at this point. You know, he hasn't had that uh, really many memorable roles in the last 10 years. But this is one that I think has really gotten people to look at him differently yeah um he was excellent and i feel like my favorite moment in the film was the ending of it with his two sons uh that kind of just completely shattered you in a million pieces that comes in the aftermath of basically him being the lone survivor of his entire family um to be quite honest with you this film is in some ways too devastating for its own good in that it, it it's just not something you'd want to watch too many times you know because it just it is one of the biggest downers i think i've i compare it almost to american fiction not that american fiction was that good but american fiction did have an effective ending in that like fuck that was pretty depressing and 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 dour and everything i think iron claw for the record is much better than american fiction but i think it has a similar tone as far as the ending is concerned when you just kind of leave the theater and you're like damn okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, but all the supporting performances I thought were wonderful. Jeremy Allen uh, White, Harris Dickinson, um, Lily James is really good. 
as um, Zac Efron's girlfriend and then wife. And I thought to me, someone else that was definitely so good that was worth of recognition was, I believe, Holt McElhaney. Uh, yeah, McElhaney. Or, or Macan, yeah, McElhaney. Holt. I'll just call him Holt. The, the guy that plays the dad. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of those performances. He's really good. Yeah, like he's one of those performances where that was pretty much pitch perfect from what you want out of this role. And you'd think that as far as the race for supporting actor, now mind you, there was some competition this year for supporting actor, but I think there was room to at least have had him in the conversation. There's no reason why he should have been ignored completely. Again, in another year with bigger buzz. You for sure could have could have seen that. One hundred percent, him because the race, or, yeah, and, yeah, the, and Jeremy Allen White, yeah, just because yeah. of he's, so, he's hot so hot right, right now. now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's winning awards. That's why Paul Mescal ended up getting a nomination at the Baftas over Jamie Bell, who has a far more substantial role in that movie, All of Us Strangers. But speaking of that, like it was such a stacked race for supporting actor. You had RDJ, De Niro, Gosling, Ruffalo, Defoe. Sterling K. Brown, um, Charles Melton from May December, Dominic Sessa, the holdovers. Those are all being in, you know, in discussion. Uh, further away, you had Jamie Bell, all of us strangers. And then, of course, there's, now we're getting to the territory where your name wasn't even brought up, but there was a lot of names to take into consideration. Um, and it just didn't materialize, unfortunately. Uh, even in screenplay. Um, like, I would definitely replace American fiction with this. That being said, um, it, it's ridiculous to me that American fiction replaced <laughs> Flower Moon <laughs> in the nomination. Yeah, I don't a, like that. Yeah. That, that was pretty terrible. And I've seen American fiction and I think American, American fiction is a complicated film. Um, I like it ultimately, but I don't think that it's one of the best. <laughs> hmm. To be honest with you, I don't think it deserved any of its nominations. Um, that's just me, of course. Um, but I think that the film is very effective and they are, there's actually a lot of really interesting scenes here as far as the wrestling, uh, but it's not as I think, I think some people might think that it's like a, a really fun movie that's focusing on wrestling. This is not really what this is here to do. It's really a family drama. Yeah. It's, um, it's a Greek tragedy basically it's yeah. interesting yeah it really does hit you though but uh if you haven't seen it go see the iron claw yeah, I, do, I think really, it had really great good. audience scores i would say that this is one of the audience's uh favorite films of the year for sure even though even i'm not sure it, even with how sad it is it's yeah. very much a um broad audience i I, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people can enjoy it anyone can enjoy it yeah yeah it's one of those like unique films where most people can enjoy kind of like the holdovers was although the holdovers wasn't that sad mm -hmm. um i mean not that it was overwhelmingly happy mind you but it's still okay so going from that uh we're taking you through the day that was uh for both of us we saw um the iron claw and then we saw the color purple which i believe was the 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 directorial debut for that director, Blitz Bazawule, um, Blitz. the only thing the only thing he had, he had done before that was of any note 
uh, was a Beyonce music video. Mm. Uh, so this is his first film, and it stars a whole bunch of people. Uh, Peter, take it away. The Color Purple, directed by Blitz Bazawule. A bold new tale, no, a bold new take on the beloved classic. A decade-spanning tale of love and resilience and of one woman's journey to independence. Celie faces many hardships in her life, but ultimately finds extraordinary strength and hope in the unbreakable bonds of sisterhood. Starring a lot of very talented people. So, the color purple. Now, there is this director known as Steven Spielberg, who made another version of this film many years ago. I think you've heard of Steven, right? Mr. Spielberg. Okay, sure. 40 years ago? Damn. You know what? That makes sense. I've seen Whoopi recently. 40 years that ago. looks like 40 years ago. Yeah. Um and that was a bit it's it's a classic at this point. It it is very much considered a classic. So, going into this, and I've said this before, I I like the the like remake but as a musical cuz at the very least it gives a basis for the remake. Like it very much is a different take on the same story. So it's like, okay, there's a reason for this existing. Cuz if it had not been a musical and just a remake, there really would be no interest. There I would zero interest. You're not making a movie better than Spielberg. It's not happening. <laughs> it's just not. And then also it's like Whoopi Goldberg in in, in her prime Oprah Winfrey, come on, like, no. Steven Spielberg, you're not doing better than that. Um, so as its own thing, as this sort of reimagined reinterpretation, um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I wasn't in love with it. Um, I think it cemented my feelings about actually the original film and, and mm. how I like that one a lot more. Um, but... I'm glad I saw it and it was actually I think really well put together as far as a lot the the dance choreography and the music and the singing and I actually did even though except for one exception I don't think I preferred any actor in this version to the original except for one and I think we agree on that one I did really enjoy these actors in these roles because they're great actors and actresses and I did really like them um and and this one. So yeah, I, I actually I enjoyed it. Yeah, uh there's actually a couple of things to say about this this movie that we I, I don't want to let pass. Uh talk yeah. about the Spielberg factor of it. Um I recently cuz I I like to watch a lot of reaction videos to shows and movies. So I it's recently fun. yeah, I recently have, uh, you know, perused around the Real Rejects YouTube channel, um, and they recently did reactions to the 1985 Color Purple and the new Color Purple, uh, and both of them happened to feature one of the main p- people on there. I believe his name is Greg. How'd they um, do the reaction to the new one? It just released digitally. Oh, it did? Weeks, this week. This oh, week, shit. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Or this week or last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... That's the era that we live in. This film didn't do very well at the box office. It kind of bombed. Um, so mm. there was that. Um, anyway, what was interesting to me is that um, I saw his reaction 
to the 1985 one. And he, it, just by looking at his reaction, he, he loved it. Like, he was emotionally moved. He was, like, openly weeping in, in parts of it. Like, it, it's a really great film. And then, when I was watching his reaction to the, the new, the, the musical version of it, he was saying some comments that kind of made no sense um, in comparison to the reaction he very clearly was showing for the Spielberg film. Like he was saying something along the lines of like how the the Bazawule film didn't feel um, overly Hollywood or overly sentimental and therefore felt more genuine and authentic. Which kind of reminds me of this really weird criticism that has just kind of chased Steven Spielberg his entire career. And it will just never seem to go away. And I, it, to me, it kind of like what made little sense to me is that I saw this person's reaction just a few weeks ago. And yeah. that reaction did not at all resemble the comments that he just made as he was enjoying this new version of The Color Purple. And it just makes my, me go like, yeah, that's why I never bought in to a lot of these. There are a lot of people who do not like Spielberg's directing because of quote-unquote over sentimentality i don't know what any of that means pussies all of them uh not greg i, I like greg greg's cool <laughs> no i like him um, i like him a lot actually but I, I, that particular thing he said didn't make any sense to me. i i think you know, a lot of people have this less is more mentality burned into their brains it's not true though sometimes more is more um and, and i actually felt this with um when we went to go see et for the the 40th release and it's it's like it's it's laid what on a religious experience that was it's <laughs> laid on so thick you know the music yeah. and the sentimentality and all but it's so wonderful right and i and i really do think it's a lot of it has to do with our cynical age that's why i say don't if you can, Nolan. Thank you by the for that. By the way. Oh no, I didn't not, say Nolan. Not, 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 well, Nolan, not not singularly responsible uh, for that, but in a lot of ways, everybody trying to copy his like aesthetic has kind of sort of resulted in a society that has been less receptive to sentimentality. Which I think is he himself is not a sentimentalist. Yeah. I think he very much is, but just his filmmaking is just not it's resemblant cold. of that. Yeah. Yes. Which is funny because I think his best film is his most sentimental, which is this last one he made um yeah <laughs> far and away that's his best movie yeah um, i was actually watching it this past weekend it's an amazing movie it's like, so it good. really holy it, shit. it's easily the best movie he's ever made i th i think it is yeah for sure um no but yeah i i, I hate that idea too and we've talked 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 about before like with the sam raimi films where it's like oh they're too cheesy and they're old and it's like who told you cheese is bad? Who told you the the sort of melodrama in it inherently makes it bad or less believable? R realism or or who told you? Where can we find them so we can beat the crap out of them? <laughs> basically, basically, yeah, yeah. I I've never bought into that. I just don't like that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um, I was going to say something else, and I completely forgot. Sorry, but just to go back on that E.T. thing, I mean, it, 
you know how effective it still is 40 years later um there was a, a man behind us who was openly weeping at the end of it like that's it's good it's a really good movie um and yet somehow <laughs> it that that particular film we could go on a whole tangent of how like completely like there are many people who refuse to acknowledge that as being in the upper echelon of Spielberg's films, simply because of its reliance on sentimentality. Um, there was even a podcast I listened to. Uh, I think it was the Big Picture podcast. They were doing a Spielberg ranked when Fablemans came out. And the host, I believe Sean is his name, just flat out refused to have E.T. get any higher than number four or three. Um, I don't get this mentality of like too emotional what films are art they're not meant to be like realism realism isn't necessary at all it, it's not it shouldn't even be a goal right yeah. they're they're empathy machines i i don't get it I don't know. yeah like everybody wants to say it's jaws or schindler's list and like those are both wonderful candidates for his best movie you know how fucking but- sentimental Schindler's List. <laughs> Jesus. They they need to go back and watch these movies again because you'll be surprised. They need to. I know. They might see. Anyway, uh I really do uh love the the Spielberg color purple film. Uh that being said, I don't feel it was one of my favorites. Uh, I would say that it's somewhere in my, somewhere in the twenties, in the top twenty. Um, He's made a lot Spielberg's of movies. amazing films. I mean, mm-hmm. it is Spielberg. Um, so uh, I didn't necessarily feel like um, you could do that much better than him. Uh, with the new version, but I wasn't as uh, the fact that I heard that it was a musical. I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting because given the source material, you wouldn't necessarily think that this lends itself to being a musical by any means. And so, having seen it, um, I think that your point is correct that the drama version of this story works so much better because the musical stuff can come off a bit jarring to depending on who the audience is because of the particular um violence and subject matter that is really embedded into the dna of the story uh we're talking about a a story in which there's like you know so much abuse of, of so many different kinds i mean we begin the story with our main character being raped by her father and bearing his children. It's it's just a really really dark place to start off the film, and then with the musical version, well, we start off with with really big musical numbers. So, I guess as a, just a to give people a bit of context, if that already is off putting to you, then maybe don't go into it. That being said, though, I happen to really love musicals, and I think we need more of them. And I went and I was excited for this because I wanted. Uh, I, I so rarely get them, right? Um, and as a musical, I have to say, I really enjoyed the musical numbers. Um, and I think for me, 
there is one big factor that kind of um, makes this more exciting to revisit in the near future. Maybe not not in a long term basis, but it's just that Taraji P Henson and her character of Suge Avery, when she comes into the movie, it kind of roars to life in a different way. And every time she's on screen, this is great. Uh, I'm loving every interaction with her. And I really enjoy Fantasia and Danielle Brooks and, and Coleman Domingo. Um, yeah. But uh, here's the thing, though. I feel like I'm a bit of a, a mixed bag here. I think as a film, obviously the original is still better and was always going to be better. Which one would I watch again? The musical makes things pal more palatable and easier to get through. There's that, and they're fun to see, you know? There, there's that going for it. Um, Here's the difference, though. I do think that I find the new cast a bit more charming, and I think that's kind of, in some instances, the point. I think one of the biggest differences is the way that Dan, uh, Danny Glover plays the character of Mr. versus how Coleman Domingo plays the character of Mr. I think Danny Glover in many ways um, very rarely made choices in his acting that left room for any bit of uh, redemption. Uh, whereas Coleman Domingo consistently, even from his first introduction, because of his overall aura as an actor, and he's a tremendous actor, by the way, I'm so happy, even though it was for a film that no one will ever remember in a year from now, um, is very ha I'm very happy to see him get a nomination for anything, um, for a different movie, by the way. Um, but because of how he plays the character, um, he is more likable and more charming consistently, even though he still does a lot of the, you know, abuse and horrible things that Danny Glover's Mr. did. But there's a key difference made in how... Bazawule and Spielberg decide to close his character at the end of both films. That I, I just have to say, I'm glad that we have both versions of that out there. Cause I think, yeah, it, I think it, that's it, cool. Yeah. Because I, I think like um I, I didn't know this myself, but I was watching the behind the scenes feature of the 85 film, there evidently was um something of a disagreement of sorts between Alice Walker the uh author of the source material the color purple and Spielberg in terms of how they wanted to end the character of Mr. Um and I think both points were valid but I agree with you I think Spielberg ultimately was right that there was some sort of redemption but in the sense that there he was a bit removed the original film ends with Danny Glover looking at the reunion that he made possible at a distance, but not fully back in the circle as being like forgiven or redeemed versus the one in the Bazawule film where very clearly he was instrumental in bringing Nettie back and her family. But at that point, two years had passed in the continuity of the film and he had been invited back into the circle as a friend of Seeley. Um, and, and, Interestingly enough, having gone back and looking at it, Mister is right next to Seely when Nettie gets out of the car. And one of the things that, one of the small things that I'm not sure it's noticed immediately, but like um, Seely actually reaches for um, 
Mister's hand and holds it tightly as she's in disbelief of like what she's hearing that her sister is actually right behind her. So there is a, a I think a, a really clear difference in how both films handle that character. And I'm really curious to see how you feel about it. Um, <laughs> and this is funny because we just had this whole discussion on on realistic. Um, but I actually think. Spielberg's is more emotionally realistic, sincere, or, or, or maybe yeah. tr- true to life, I guess. Mm-hmm. With with those kinds of situations, right? Because he be like you say, like oh man, there's there's a little bit more to his character in Coman Domingo's charm. I, I want to say there's more room for charm because of how he plays it. Like, he smiles more. He's more friendly, but he's still abusive. I'm not saying that he's not abusive, but yeah. I just think that Glover was, was like, well, I don't know. It's just, it's very subtle. I'm not saying it's very mm-hmm. overt. It's just a subtle change for me. It's too subtle for me, then. <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, he he's just as abusive. There's certain instances you can maybe even argue he's more abusive uh, than the original. And... Because of that, that turn in the end, it's just, it's a little too much, I, I, I think. Mm. Does it feel a bit stagey? Um, a little bit. It, it's just a little unearned, I, I think. Oh, yeah. I think it, it, it plays, again, man, I just, Spielberg, I, I just, I think it plays perfectly in that film. I think Where, what's really interesting yeah. is that like the the way that they end Mister in this film, the new one, is exactly what people would think Spielberg would pull. Yes. And the reality was that's not what happened. That's what I think that's what I thought was so funny when you when you sent those clips. I'm like, you you would think that it would be the opposite, that the author would be arguing, nah, he's a piece of shit, and then and then old sentimental Spielberg would be like, Oh no, they're all a big happy family at the end. When it was actually the opposite, where Spielberg's like, I, I don't buy the forgiveness. And she's like, no, but yet. it's about family and stuff. Yeah, like, I I think their relationship can definitely be better, but it's not, I just don't buy into the way it was at the end, where they're all joking I wonder, around. And yeah, like, oh, right, they're yeah. laughing. Like, yeah, and they're sitting far, together part side by side. It's like, that's mm, a little... Yeah. It's a little too much. It's a little quick. Yeah. Um, and I think the the best way they had, I guess their best attempt to address the drasticness of it is that two years evidently passed it, since apparently in between that meeting that he had with Celia in her mm-hmm. shop and then them at the Easter thing, that was two years in between. But of course, that's just an excuse. Yeah, it's not really anything. 20 years um, of getting your ass beat. like Basically. Um. Although some would say that really just speak, not that the film get, deserves any credit for it, but if you were to look, at, I guess look more into it if you'd want to, right? That's you putting yourself into it, right? It's yeah. well that that speaks to how good of a person Celia can be, how much no, she's willing to forgive. I can see her eventually forgiving. I yeah. just don't see her being buddies, pals. pals. Yeah, it, it, it's more of a like an understanding between them. You know, mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know. I, I feel like that that's a little more true to life. 
I wonder if it's on YouTube somewhere, the deleted scene of, I know that they shot with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny Glover, a reconciliation scene between the two, right? I don't remember. It, I think they did shoot it, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It wasn't obviously in the film because they had changed the direction. But I'm just happy for Alice Walker that she got she got to have yeah, the I'm happy be, she wanted. For yeah, because that, that was because her whole thing is like this is a story about family, um, and no matter how fucked up, you know, it, it's sort of this idea of they are one together, and um, I'm glad that she she got that version, you know. Mm-hmm. No, and and that and again, that's another reason to say like, well, why make another one? It's like you you see this other way the story can play out, and it makes it sort of worth it. Um, I will say, looking at some of the other characters here, I I feel like I enjoyed thoroughly Fantasia and Danielle Brooks as those characters. Oh yeah. Um. I and I think like to me, they on a coin flip, maybe on one day I would prefer them to Whoopi and Oprah, but then on the other day, obviously there's Oprah and Whoopi, and they're both great <laughs> yeah. in their roles. I mean, I think to me, here's the key difference. When and this kind of happens in almost any remake, doesn't matter how good or bad it is, there are moments where they're just like line for line repeating iconic moments that Oprah and Whoopi had in the 85 movie. But they pale in comparison. As far as the delivering of those moments, like when um, the Harpo, I love Harpo from Danielle Brooks, like you're thinking of Oprah and like it kind of landed better with Oprah. And then even with um, the later scene with Celie when she's basically like cursing um, Mr. as she's about to leave, uh, I may even, yeah, I may be what ugly, but hey, I'm here. Like Whoopi delivered that in a much more emotionally powerful way as well. So like when they're basically going line for line with the original film, and especially when it's in a dramatic context, it, it doesn't work as well. It doesn't work. I'm not saying it doesn't work at all, but it doesn't work as well as it did uh, in the, in the original version of it. Um, However, there's a lot of other moments. I think Harpo as a character, I like Corey Hawkins's version of his character more. Uh, I happen to really enjoy re- the dyna- the dynamic of Harpo and and um, Harpo and uh, Sophia more in this film. Well, I really like the actor that plays uh, Harpo. Uh, what's mm-hmm. his name? And the Corey Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's- yeah. He's really great. So again, there's some differences here and there. And of course, throughout the story, they they, they, they move some things around. Um, Taraji. I, I cannot believe no one has paid attention to her. Talking about performances that were just not even given a chance, no one nominated her. And I think she has the best performance in the film. I honestly feel like a lot of the film kind of lives and dies on her um, being as good as she is. And she mus- she was musically trained for this. Like, she's not a natural singer, and, but her voice is stunning. And I think you were, this is the one that you were talking about that, that was a clear improvement on um, on the original Sugar Avery. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. She was fantastic. Like, she, I think she really embodied Sugar Avery. Like, when you think about that character and, and who she is, 
all her the way other people view her in the film um she really she really made it um come alive i think some other differences uh they made Celie here um i guess the she visited uh, uh sophia a lot in prison yeah um i don't know do you remember the fact that she she sews really well was that as much of an emphasis in the original as it was in this newer one? I mean, the idea is, like, she's a homemaker. So, the idea of her being a good sewer didn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. But I, I, don't, I don't know if it was necessarily emphasized in the original one. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Anyway, I think at the end of the day, I actually really like this movie. And I think a lot of people would have liked it as well if they had just seen it. <laughs> um, and I feel really bad for it because I think it got done dirty. Um, it sh- it should have, at least in the, the performances department, should have had a tad bit more recognition. Um, but yeah, I-, I-, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was very happy that we, on our day of doing a double pre- a viewing presentation, we had this to end the day instead of uh, the Iron Claw. You're welcome. Thank you for that, by the way. Um, so, with that out of the way, we can get to our final film. That happens to be the film that uh, Peter has been projecting behind him this entire time. The latest <laughs> oh, I can't film, see it. I forgot I was doing that. The la- you really can't see it? No. The film by Yorgo Lanthimos. Poor Things. Poor Things, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. She's like nothing you've ever seen. Brought back to life by an unorthodox scientist, a young woman runs off with a lawyer on a whirlwind adventure across the continents. Free from the prejudices of her time, she grows steadfast in her purpose to stand in to stand for equality and liberation. It is, uh, of course, starring, uh, who is it? Emma Stone. Emma Stone. The as of right now, uh, current Golden Globe and Critics' Choice winning Emma Stone for Best Actress, and future BAFTA winning uh, Best Actress Emma Stone, maybe even also potential SAG and Oscar winning actress for Emma Stone. I mean, for uh, Poor Things. Yeah. So, uh, feminist whore, the movie. What did you think of it? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that out of you. Um. I thought this film was, for lack of a better phrase, fucking incredible. Just absolutely uh, kind of amazing. Um, Maybe in some moments here or there, it may end up being a tad long but not to the point where a tad. Mm. I'm not saying like it, it overstays its welcome. Yeah, by yeah, any yeah. Means. I love the film, mm-hmm. but there may be, I can see where people might feel like, okay, let's get a move on here. To me, I have had the uh, pleasure of now having seen this three times. Um, to me, I loved every single performance. <laughs> I think I loved Every single line, um, 
every single weird camera angle or movement. Um, every weird char- note yeah. of the score. <laughs> yep. Yep. The score is fantastic. Um, the costumes, the unbelievable production and set design uh, just blows you away. And to me, it's so much of what you want cinema to me to be because it it you you end up just going on a journey on with this movie because you're not quite sure what this really is at the beginning of what you're watching, right? Like and I'm not even talking about in reference to like the plot or you know mysteries. Those are I find those things to be if anything else gimmicks or superficial. I just mean like what Ultimately, the journey that we're on here, right, with this movie, and I think where we end up um, at is something strangely beautiful and empowering. Mm-hmm. And I think it ends up really feeling a lot. It, it it's trying to say a lot of the same things that Greta Gerwig's Barbie uh, well, was saying. I feel it's. If you combined three films, you would get this one, which would be uh, Frankenstein, Barbie, and Pinocchio. Yeah. Which Pinocchio? Uh, the original. Okay. Um, it's... I guess you can include the new one, too, right? But Pinocchio... Or any Pinocchio general, story. Yeah, general yeah. Pinocchio. Um, it's very much those three films, because those are the three stories that kept popping in my head while watching this mm-hmm. um yeah oh did you want me to say how i felt please I, I yes I yeah. Thought, okay. yeah um yeah i loved it i thought it was fantastic i really really enjoyed it um, it's hilarious it's hilarious it's weird it's dark it's Fucked, it's got heart. It's fucked up and funny, full of heart, and it's it it, it it's really a very human story. Uh, it's about a human sort of relieved of all social chains, and you know, just set out on discovery. Um, and everything, man. The, visually, the score. Uh, it's, it's an, a very, very much, I feel like an adult fairy tale, Mm. um, which used to just be fairy tales. (laughs) Yes. Uh, but it's a journey, you know, it, it, it feels like a journey and of self discovery. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in general, the film, um, and yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. I it, it's it's really up there as, as far as best films of the year. Um, Yorgos, it's I would be so interested how you would feel about his other earlier films. Mm-hmm. I'm not. It, it's crazy. I feel like with each film, I like each film that he makes more. Okay. Like the the earliest films of his, I'm like I just the same for me and then with each subsequent film i like him more and more and more in in the film more and more and more you should really see um what's the last one he did the favorite the favorite you should really see the favorite 
I think you would really like the favorite. He also made the lobster, right? Yes. And I like the lobster, but I'm a little more iffy on the lobster compared to both the, the favorite. favorite and um, Poor Things. Did you know that Jorgo's already shot his next movie? Yes. I think with, with Emma, Stone Emma Stone too, too yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. she found a golden goose. She ain't letting go. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah, no. I mean, look, Emma's work in this movie—it's really is good. Top-notch. Yeah, really I think they're, they're, this will definitely be one of the most beloved of her performances. Just looking at it already, and it makes you wonder. I mean, look, of course, the relationship is going so well with her and Yorgos because there's a realistic opportunity she might win her second Oscar for this movie. It's what I find so much incredible about, about this film is that there are so many elements to the film where. If it was done just slightly different, it could come off so bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so bad, and, and, and it, it like it just it would cause the whole thing to fall apart. So many things, and one of them, of course, being Emma's performance. Yeah, um, but, but the fact that all those um, things stick the landing. It's it's an incredible feat, I think. I love the evolution of this Bella character because mm-hmm. I mean, we basically were, I mean, she is an infant, but we meet her as an infant and we see her form thoughts and discover life all the way from the beginning. I and mean, by the time we get to the end of the film, she's a whole person. Oh, with yeah. This extensive vocabulary. And she's just like, whoa, like the, the actual transformation is seamless <laughs> as we get to the end to the point where uh, she's able to use all of what she's learned in the climax of the film where she's able to best um, the abuser uh, of a former life, shall we say, mm-hmm. um, in a really uh, hilarious way too, mind you. It's really interesting that you and I had the same thought about what she was going to do with uh, w- with a particular body and brain. Oh, yeah. Toward the end of the film. And mm-hmm. then that ended up not being the case. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting to explore, but I do feel that perhaps that would have not maybe been in can continuity of how they were representing things were, would work or would look like. I think it wouldn't have been a continuing of his life. It would have been somebody else, mm-hmm. a whole new personality. Cause I also think it just would have taken away the focus from the ending being about yeah. Bella and, and her sort yeah. of... Victory. Basically. Yeah, her victory at like just being this fully formed person, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really uh, refreshing to see a Frankenstein tale like basically this, but all but in a way where it doesn't end it tragically no you know um you get to see a victory here uh for good old frankenstein um but what an absolute extensive cast uh for me like rami Youssef was terrific Willem Dafoe always brings it. I mean, the makeup on on him was stellar. Mark Ruffalo, scene stealing. The best performance he's given. Hilarious. Endlessly so. Um, He got nominated, right? He did. Yeah. He did. It looked for a minute there that he wouldn't, but he did. <laughs> so, uh, sigh of relief there, but he ended up get, um, getting nominated for that performance. Um. But can we talk about the sets, man? They are Jesus. incredible, those sets. The several times through watching it, I just like leaned over to you like, damn, like 
genuinely incredible like like and it's it's so um interesting the way they do it because it's like this quasi like fairy tale version of our world because it, it's technically real places like london and uh where where else did they go greece lisbon paris um lisbon and um you can sort of tell what places are meant to represent you know in real life but they're also these just incredible otherworldly creations cities um unlike every anything you've seen and a lot of it you can tell is real mm-hmm. uh the set design is incredible it, it really should win i think at the oscars i don't even know if it's nominated but it should win it is okay. it is it has 11 nominations and that's one of them yeah um interestingly enough i don't know if it will win that particular category it should i think it's it's vying for somebody else but like to me uh last i checked oppenheimer is in contention to win up to seven eight or nine oscars meanwhile poor things and flower moon which respectively are nominated for 11 and 10 nominations each are vying for one win Really? And hilariously enough, well, yeah, I think they're they're vying for one win against each other in the best actress category. With Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone. That's going to be very interesting to see who wins that one. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be like the big category of the night, just to see. How Which way it goes. Yeah. Because everything else just seems pretty locked. Um, basically. Um, the screenplay was also terrific. Um, brought to us by Tony McNamara, who previously worked with Yorgos on The Favorite. And then also, your one of your favorite movies, Cruella. <laughs> See how Disney just destroys people's talent? Jesus. Cruella was fun. No. It was so much fun. I don't know what you're harping on that. Emma Stone was entirely into the film. She was great. I don't know what there's to hate. It's, it's a, piece a of hilarious shit, film. So it's a hilarious movie. It is not. Well, it's hilarious in ways that It's a dumb, fun maddening. movie. It's I don't, not. Like, it is it's, very it's dumb. It's the same it way as fun. Aquaman is. No. Just dumb fun. No. There's artistry <laughs> in Aquaman. There is artistry in Cruella. Do you see those costumes? No. It's an Academy Award winning film for the costumes. So is Suicide Squad. For yes, the, for the that was. Okay. <sighs> anyway, Poor Things is a great film. And uh, also, I think the most unique movie of the year. I'm not sure there's anything quite like it. Uh, so... Yeah, if it's playing in your area, and I believe Poor Things is continuing to expand. Um, I, I actually, I think um, I may have been mistaken, Peter. Uh, Poor Things did not ex- uh, end up playing at our theater because of the Oscar nominations. That actually was expanding because it's still playing right now. I told you. Um, so can you for once not say I told you? 
No. No. Always <laughs> has to go back. Who to do that. you think I am? Yeah, very clearly. Um, let's close with this. Um, what thoughts, if any, do you have on how this award season has gone, and what do you think is gonna win out on top? Is there any suspense? Oppenheimer, best picture. Uh, Nolan, best director. Biggest toss-up, best actress. Everything else, pretty locked and uninteresting. Um, How do you feel about that? The fact that it's so uninteresting. I think we have a deserved winner here. I think we have a great winner, ultimately. But I'm a little bummed that it's this boring yeah. i would love some suspense you know i guess but i guess for me more than suspense i just want the right people to win i want the right people to win as well but i also don't like circumstances where um unexpected films that have no business being as successful end up appearing at the last minute at the expense of other films who end up getting a lot of nominations, but ultimately will win nothing. Like Poor Things and Flower Moon ultimately are going to end up losing awards to things like um, maybe American Fiction, maybe Anatomy of a Fall. Um, not that those are bad movies. I think Anatomy of a Fall is actually a really great film, but still it's just like I, I don't like these last minute surge surges because it ultimately ends up not um going in the way that i would like things to go to um and also like oppenheimer is a great movie but i think we're looking at at least matching what everything everywhere all at once did last year if not more right because i'm i think it's going to win picture director supporting actor sound score cinematography um, editing easily, right? Like it's got those in the oh, bag. Oh yeah, for sure. So that's already said and done. Um, the one thing is, do you think it's gonna sweep enough where it carries Killian, or is Paul Giamatti gonna get in his way? See, that would be an upset, but one that you can maybe see coming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh. That's a sort of underdog possibility. A real possibility. I don't think it's high, but it's definitely a possibility. Holdovers is already guaranteed of a victory elsewhere in the supporting actress category. So it's not as if like it's in danger of winning nothing. Um, but Paul Giamatti is a beloved individual and has never won before. So you could see the that going in his favor. That being said, to I will say this. I think Oppenheimer winning all those awards, except Killian Murphy, would be the equivalent if last year Michelle Yeoh had not won Best Actress, and yet Everything Everywhere All at Once ended up winning everything else. Yeah. But last year, Everything Everywhere was such a lock. On everything. Everything. I don't see that as much this year. Somewhat with Oppenheimer, but not as much. So. There was a surprise in supporting actress. Jamie Lee Curtis pulled it out ahead of Angela Bassett. 
Yeah, that see, are you looking for those kind of upsets or what? That could still happen. I think so, yeah. I think to me, ultimately, what I'm bummed about is I wanted a more interesting season where um, a different movie won at a different award show. Kind of how it was last year. I would have, you want to ask like what I wanted? I wanted Flower Moon to win at the Globes. You I wanted Poor wanted Things to win at the Globes. I wanted Barbie to win at Critics' award Choice. Season. Yes, so you can I think... have the political back and forths and have that fun. Yes. Yes, that's what I want. That's what I've been trying to say. Like, okay. I, I, I think it makes for a more exciting race when you have a different victor. Like, how crazy would things have been if, like, the Globes and Critics' Choice came out and we had, like, three different films that got Best Picture and none of those at Oppenheimer? Although, knowing the whole time, Oppenheimer had it in the bag. Like, at least we would have had that. <laughs> I'm not an awards horse racer like you. I, I'm not even about the horse race. I'm you are 100% trying... about well, the I horse think, race. Don't lie. Okay, we have different. We have a different definition of what horse race means. What I want out of award season is for different films to have different amounts of recognition, you know? It's feeling like it's Oppenheimer, 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 and there's no oxygen for anybody else. That's where things get boring for me. That's the problem. Yeah, because you want a tighter race. I'm not saying that that was something I was ever denying, but I think you misrepresented ultimately what I wanted. Because when you say horse race... People just care about a race and are not putting their personal feelings on the films themselves. You, a lot of people feel that way. I'm not one of those people. I can't separate those two. You're saying, I'm saying exactly what you're saying and then you're getting mad. So, Well, if you say that we're saying the same thing, then I believe you. Um, <laughs> how about that? I'll just choose to believe you. That's what I would do. Okay. Well, it seems that this conversation has run its course. Uh, thank you, Peter, for being on this podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening and watching here. You can catch our show every single Sunday anywhere you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned here for more movie reviews and movie news in the weeks to come. We might have some more reviews, maybe some surprises. We've got the Academy Awards. We've got our top 10 show. And we've got Dune Part 2 Dune. coming out next month. So... So much to stay tuned for, guys. We will see you next time. Bye.